Thank you so much. Good morning, everyone. Steve Lee, alcoholic. And, yeah, we went over and preemptively paid him for this hour, Odie, so hopefully I'll be good and uh, uh, and not have to siphon that Wi-Fi from my upstairs neighbor. Uh, you know, I'm so thrilled to be here. What a uh, – uh, I'm just blown away, Holly, uh, 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 you and all the all the people, because I know that, that your name gets called because you've kind of been the face, and you and Teresa, but so many people – there have worked so hard to put together a host of events over this past year. And it's just, uh, uh, you've extended the reach of AA in ways that I never would have uh, thought to do or, or taken the initiative to do on my own. So thank all of you for that. Thank you for inviting and including me here today. Uh, uh, you know, it, it is, um, I see that there are a thousand people on here. I just, uh, Want to say in advance, though I know that about 300 of you are taking a nap right now, but uh, um, uh, I just say in advance that if that number drops precipitously during this hour, how hurt I will be and how sensitive I am to that. Uh, uh, I will tell you back in, in uh, uh, April when, when this was kind of new speaking on Zoom, and I don't know that I'm any better at it than I was, but I'm, but I'm more familiar and more comfortable. And, and I was speaking at an event in New York and like this, I was watching the room fill up while I was talking, seeing that participants number. And it was going from 400 to 600 to 700 climbing to a thousand. And I found myself speaking more loudly so the people in the back could hear. And, uh, uh, then I realized that in what is kind of a cool thing, we are all on the virtual front row. And uh, so even with a thousand people, in some ways, this gets to be a almost more intimate conversation. Now, I do miss, I have to tell you, and I know I speak for my other friends that, uh, and you guys, uh, even whether it's our meetings or a big event like this, I miss the energy in the room. I miss that palpable feeling of being with you. Uh, but, boy, this is certainly, I, I probably would not be with you guys today were it not for uh, this technology. So thank you, guys. Um, you know, this has been a great, this, for me to sit here, I was listening to Katie and Teresa this morning. And first I want to say what, you know, my friend Butch, who I, I tell people Butch is Canada's gift to the United States, but uh, uh, I just love Butch, and he is perhaps my closest friend, and so I always enjoyed being able to be with him and hear him last night. And uh, the Texas Twins uh, doing the two-step last night, uh, one and two, Chris and, and Myers, uh, I love and admire and respect tremendously. But you guys placed me after Katie and Teresa, and that kind of, of uh, enthusiasm and vitality and, and passion, you know, is kind of hard to follow. I sort of feel like, you know, when you would go to your high school dance and the band would be rocking out, and then after, just before they broke for their first break, they'd let the bass player sing a song, you know, because just so they could keep him in the band. He wasn't any good, but they would... You know, he's a decent bass player, but he couldn't sing. But they, they said, come on up. And, and he would do a slow song. You know, we've been, we've been rocking out all day, but now it was time for a slow song. And this is sort of the slow song portion of the program right now. 
But to take that analogy on to an absurd conclusion, I will tell you that in high school, during that slow song, slow song were one of some of my most meaningful experiences. That is where this, where I went from dancing to being in a relationship. And that's what's been happening with these steps today, right? We have been going through these steps, and, and the, the book says, the 12 and 12 says at the conclusion of the fifth step, that I'll now be walking hand in hand with him, with the spirit of the universe. So now, because of the work that uh, Chris and Myers and Katie and Teresa have taken us through, and again, theoretically, because I, I think everyone's made it clear, what we're having here this weekend is a conversation about the steps. In fact, it's not even a conversation, is it? it? It's not a dialogue. It's a monologue for the most part. You guys aren't getting to participate too much right now. But but we are talking about the steps. We are sharing information and sharing experience. But what none of us can share with each other is the personal application of that information, which is ultimately what's critical. But if you have followed what everyone has been talking about, if you have taken those actions yourself, if you're new and are looking to begin this process of walking through these steps, then, then you have heard what that looks and sounds like. And when I have, when I am current, when I have done what, what, uh, they have talked about doing, I land here at this sixth step, hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. It says that we begin to have a, a spiritual experience here. Some of us may have had it before, but by here it says that, that I am that I have entered the world of the spirit. Now I've barely entered, I'm in the foyer of the world of the spirit, right? I'm not all the way in, I've just walked in the door. And I'm starting to look around and figuring out what to do next. Where are we going from here? And uh, um, so that's uh, what, what I'm going to try to do. It's, it's a little bit embarrassing because you have done such a good first, second, third, and fourth, and fifth step that uh, uh, I don't want to screw up the sixth step and seventh step for anybody because this is where we separate the men from the boys. The girls from the women, the adult from the child. You know, that other book says, when I was a child, I played with childish things. And I have been playing, I've discovered through that inventory that Teresa took us through, that I have been, those child un, uh, un, unaware that I am trying to have my instincts satisfied. I have made that the end all and be all of my life before I get to Alcoholics Anonymous. I have been, I've been trying to be self-satisfied. And that's the journey that Teresa took us on. You know, in the third step, Katie talked about and told us what the problem is in general, right? She, she clarified for me and for you that alcohol is but a symptom and that selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of my problem. That self manifested in various ways is what has defeated me. So I look for its common manifestation. So the third step 
acquaints me for the first time with the idea that self is my problem. Once I'm not drinking, self is my problem. And self in Alcoholics Anonymous, at least for me, is my pride and my ego. It is my egocentric thinking. It is I'm, li- I'm living an ego-centered life, a self-centered life, rather than a God-centered life. And these steps are helping me bridge the gap between that self-centeredness and a God-centeredness, from a self-consciousness to a God-consciousness. That's the journey that we're on. And it is, and, and I, I know none of this, I think it was Teresa that spoke to some degree about that. In a way, the steps take me. I don't take the steps. It, I give myself over to that process, but they validate where I've been and they validate where you guys say we're going when I, when I give myself over. So it was news to me. You know, when I first read in our book that selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of my problem, I never viewed myself as selfish. I, I mean, I'm not, if I got $10, I'll loan you five. You know what I mean? I mean, that's what, that's what I thought we were talking about. But what I've come to know, at least for me, was that what we're talking about in that, in those manifestations of self is how self-obsessed I am. And, and, and Katie even talked about how that shows up. I can be kind, considerate, right? I can, I can look like a guy who's kind and considerate and use those tools to try to get my way. And often I am not conscious of it, right? I'm trying to make this shift to, to, to an awareness, to being spiritually awake so I can see what's going on in my world. But it's, uh, um, you would think, if one had done as good a fourth and fifth step as Teresa laid out for us, and if someone had 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 uh, pocketed their pride and done a fifth step illuminating every nook and cranny, that they would arrive, or someone like me would arrive at the sixth and seventh step, and this would be relatively easy. But it's interesting because because I think the reason that that six and seven that it begins by saying that this is where we separate the the, the boys from the men is because the step six and seven is really a now what now what I arrived there with more information about me than I have ever had I am loaded with information about me. The, one of the descriptions, and it requires, by the way, for, for I think any of us, but it requires humility to see the truth about me. It requires humility for me to take ownership of what I find in that inventory. It takes humility to, to see and, and, and honestly own and be ready to account for these shortcomings and these defects of character. And my friend Bob says, if there's a problem I'm unwilling to have, I'll have it forever. But see, when I do that inventory, I'm stuck with a couple of, couple of options. Uh, 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 if one of you were to text me right now and say, Steve, man, I, I'm, I hate to tell you this, buddy, but uh, uh, you, you got uh, 
you got drool coming out of your mouth. You got a big thing stuck between your teeth. It's really unsightly here on the screen. I've got two options. Now that would be no matter when that information comes to me, that's going to be embarrassing. It's going to, it's going to be off-putting. And I can either go, nope, you're wrong. That's not true. I can decide I'm unwilling to have that problem. I can deny it, but if I do that, I'm stuck for the rest of this hour speaking with, uh, you know, something long and green hanging from my teeth. Or I can be embarrassed and I can spot, admit, and correct this thing and move on. And for, for many, many years, I chose to deny or not even actively and honestly look for the blemish that might be showing on me. Because I was unwilling to have the problem. So this inventory lands me at a place with step six and seven where, again, I go, now what? How do, how do I handle this? Where do these problems come from? How do I, how do I change? How, am, how do I change or how am I changed? There's a nuance there that makes all the difference. I think both are, are critical. Because, see, I I don't seem to be able to be rid of a defective character by self-will. I think Katie spoke to that. I can't change self with self. I can't fix my problem in my mind with the mind that created the problem. I am beyond human power. So I'm going to need something other than human power, but that does not let me off the hook. I, I am trying to arrive at a place where I honestly and willingly and humbly invite God to make a change in me, that I am willing to be changed. But one of the ways I demonstrate that willingness is to try to act better. But acting better has a short shelf life on me. I can only pretend. I can't. You know, I can't decide, I, if I'm impatient, I cannot decide to be patient. But I can decide to act patiently. If, if I'm selfish, I cannot decide not to be selfish, but I can, I can attempt to act unselfishly. And what that means, you know, let's say that, that uh, when I show up here at Alcoholics Anonymous uh, uh, and and go to the uh, supermarket, and I get in that express lane, and the person in front of me has, you know, 32 items in the express lane, and, and, and I know they have 32 items because I have meticulously counted every item. Uh, I have no option but to snatch that person up, assuming they're small enough and old enough, and I'm not physically intimidated, that I snatch that person up, I tell them they are in the wrong lane. I point out uh, uh, the mistake they're making, and I tell them which lane to get in. And you guys tell me in Alcoholics Anonymous, see, that behavior, that, that's just uh, uh, unseemly behavior. That's not the way we're trying to act these days. So the next time I'm in that supermarket and that person is in front of me and has that 32 items, which I have, again, meticulously counted, I don't say a word. I sit there completely still and quiet. And I am just about to implode from being 
still and quiet. There is blood trickling down my cheek where I'm biting my lip. I am not saying anything. Now, I am not free of that defect of character. I am suffering from that defect. But I'm not causing any collateral damage with that defect. And that's a huge improvement. And what you have been telling me since I showed up in Alcoholics Anonymous is to act my way into right thinking. And that I might one day find myself in that line, in that supermarket, behind that person, and I might not even count the items that they have. And I'm here to report to you at 31 years sober. If that ever happens, I'm going to come back and let you know. Uh, but I'm better than I used to be. And And you have taught me that this is not where I get perfect. It's in many ways where I uh, make peace with my imperfection. It's where I recognize the humanness. You know, there's a wonderful book, that, that wonderful from my point of view. It's not conference approved. It's the spirituality of imperfection. And, and one of the lines in there says that, that one of the great tragedies that man has uh, uh, bestowed on himself is trying to be perfect. What I need to try to do is be better, and not even better than you, but better than me. And when I say try, what I need to be is willing to grow along spiritual lines. I can't seem to be able to attack my defects of character uh, piecemeal. Well, this week we're going to work on selfishness, and next week I'm going to – I mean, for me that has not been very effective. I think what I'm encouraged to do – is Katie talked about it, uh, in a different way Teresa talked about it, every step talks about it, everything I'm doing in Alcoholics Anonymous is about trying to establish a relationship with God. I'm not trying to solve my problem, I'm trying to connect to a power greater than myself, which will solve my problem. I'm trying to build upon that relationship. I'm trying to make a shift from trying to be self-satisfied and to being God-directed to see what happens there. You know, again, it, it would it would think that that we would arrive, or a guy like me would arrive at six and seven. Uh, number one, uh, willing to have these defects of character removed, and, and number two, ready to ask God humbly to remove these shortcomings. But I sometimes don't know how I'm still holding on. What I'm confronted with, in my case, is, again, that in many ways I'm still trying to, you know, we talked earlier in the book, and, and I think it was discussed last night by Chris, that the great obsession of every abnormal drinker is that one day he will control and enjoy his drinking. And I'm here to report that second to that, that I believe that the great obsession, and not just of alcoholics, but the great obsession of most people, is that one day they will control and enjoy their defects of character. You know, when I said control and enjoy my drinking, when I'm back there looking at, at my relationship with alcohol and, and, and examining that idea of controlling and enjoying my drinking, what I mean by that is I want to drink enough to get everything alcohol does for me without suffering the pains of what alcohol began to do to me. 
And I would likewise say that that in these defects of character, that I want to, you know, I, I, I want to dally in my defects. I want to, I want to uh, in, engage and indulge just enough to get what feels like what I think is going to be relief. Katie spoke about that difference in relief and recovery. I will, I will take for momentary relief. You know, I, I, I will tell you on here, it's an analogy I sometimes use, but I love, I love a donut. I mean, I'm a, I love donuts. And I have never eaten a donut that I did not enjoy. But I have never in the last 20 years eaten a donut that the moment I got through eating the donut, I go, damn, I wish I hadn't eaten that donut. Because the moment the donut is gone, there is no lasting value. There's no nutritional benefit. Uh, in fact, there's probably going to be a little bit of a price to pay for eating that donut. I have eaten more donuts during the pandemic. I will tell you that a side effect of the pandemic, it has apparently made my clothes shrink. And uh, uh, that's problematic. But you know, when you indulge, when, when, when I get engaged in self-indulgence, whatever form that takes, the donut analogy would be the gluttony, right? And our book says no one us, none of us want to be gluttonous enough to ruin their health. The 12 and 12 in talking about these uh, these uh, uh, seven deadly sins. No one is, none of us wants to be lustful enough to rape. None of us wants to be angry enough to murder. I mean, clearly, all of those are, are horrendous. But what about the more subtle manifestations of these defects? As I begin to live my daily life, how are they showing up? And that's what Katie took us on, or when Katie identified that self, and 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 the ride Teresa took us on, uh, and so masterfully describing and outlining the inventory process, where I go looking for where self has shown up in my resistance, in my sex conduct, and see, I will confuse my behavior for the defect. See, my behavior is not the defect. My behavior is the outward manifestation of the internal malady. My behavior is what my defect looks like out in the world. But, you know, I think that that uh, in many ways, this Sixth and seventh step is a second surrender. Refer to that as a second surrender. I, I tend to use the phrase, and it certainly continues to ring true for me at step six and seven, as a continuing deeper surrender. See what happens with these steps is we don't take a step and leave it behind. We we take each step with us into the next step. So I take one into two, one and two into three. Right, one, two, three, four, five, into six and seven. And I am getting better acquainted with how self is showing up. And I become more open to the prospect 
of, of surrendering and a deeper surrender. And I recognize areas where that surrender is called for in ways I did not see it before the inventory. You know, it, it says that uh, uh, that we have been demanding. A guy like me has been demanding more than my share of security, prestige, and romance. More than my share. Now, it doesn't seem like I'm asking for more than my share. I don't recognize it until I do the inventory. But again, those are the ways that I try to be self-satisfied. I try to solve my internal problem with an external solution. I try to have that donut in a variety of ways. Maybe maybe if I get enough pats on the back, maybe if I get enough likes on Facebook, maybe if I have enough followers on, on uh, uh, Twitter or Instagram, there's some validation for me. I don't know what that number is yet. I haven't reached it. Right? Maybe if uh, if my uh, sex life uh, looks like what I, you know, if, if I do something there, maybe it'll distract me from what feels like something is missing. Um, maybe if I have enough money through that job and that security, if I'm recognized at work and, and well-respected or financially I'm compensated, so that's something there. And see, these are... What we started looking for in the inventory, what were referred to as God-given instincts for sex, society, and security. There's nothing wrong with the instinct, but what's wrong is my appetite. My appetite, I am demanding more than is possible or even do me. So here's the thing that I've discovered about being self-satisfied. I can't be. I've been trying to satisfy me one way or another all my life. So, again, that's where the shift takes place. The sixth and seventh step is really where I, re- I double down on the third step commitment. Right? In that third step prayer, I said a couple of In the third step prayer, I said, God, I offer myself to thee. To do with me and build with me as you will. Apparently in that third step, I said, here I am, do whatever you want with it. And I said it, but I didn't really mean it. And I didn't even know I didn't mean it. Because that implies, because it's, it's, I mean, I, I meant it at the level I could mean it at the time, but that's a, that's a big gift. Do with me as you will, anything. And see, one of the traps that I fall into in Alcoholics Anonymous is if I show up in AA, if I don't drink, if I have good meeting attendance, if I have a sponsor and I am a sponsor, if I'm doing service work, if I'm engaged in the activity of Alcoholics Anonymous, the reward will be I will get what I want. When in fact, the real reward is, as you guys know, I will want what I have. The real reward is that I become more useful and effective. And that in that it is that usefulness that begins to give life purpose and meaning and that satisfaction comes from that rather than some external thing that I'm looking for. You know, there's the story. One of the ways I know that my problem is internal. There's a story that uh, 
many of you may have, have heard, it's, it's told by a Sufi master. And since with my accent, I've never felt comfortable telling a story from, uh, from the Sufi perspective, I've just uh, have repurposed this story as a Tennessee redneck. And uh, uh, so we got an old boy, and he has, uh, uh, he has lost the keys to his pickup truck. And he's out in the front yard of his house, crawling around on his hands and knees, looking for the keys to his truck. And a couple of his buddies drive by, and and they see what he's doing. They ask him what's going on, and he says, "Well, he says I'm I'm looking for the keys to my truck." And so, like good friends are wont to do, they get down and begin to help him. They are crawling around on their hands and knees looking for the keys to this truck. Pretty soon, another group of guys come by, and before you know it, you got eight or ten or twelve people crawling around on their hands and knees, painstakingly looking for the keys to this truck out in his front yard. And finally, one of them asked him, said, where were you when you lost the key? And he said, I was in the house. And they said, what are we doing looking out here? And he said, well, the light's so good out here. And see, I will look out here because the light is so good. And I will tell my story so effectively to you that you will help me look. And I will continually be trying to solve my problem, my dis-ease, my lack of satisfaction by some external resource. And it, and it, and it is so momentary, like the donut. It may, it may distract me in the moment. It may feel good in the moment. I had a guy call me one, you know, this has been, I hadn't thought about this in years. It really just showed up. But a guy was sponsoring, new guy, just been sober for a month or two. And he took a business trip to North Carolina. And he was at the hotel and he called me from his room and he said, man, I just feel like I'm going to drink. And anyway, we, we talked, we prayed, we talked about all the stuff, you know, that we, we hoped would maybe help him get through that night. But ultimately he called me back a couple hours later and he said, he said, Steve, he said, I, he said, I went down and he said, I had a beer. He said, and man, it was good. And I said, hey, brother, nobody said it was going to start tasting bad. Right? I'm not saying the beer didn't taste good. I'm not even saying that probably didn't even provide some momentary relief. It is just not the answer to my problem. And in fact, it, it distracts me and blocks me off from God, which is the answer to my problem. You know, not drinking is just the preparation for the solution in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, when you go to the doctor's office and you're out there in the waiting room for, you know, it's already an hour past when your appointment was, and you're out in that crowded waiting room, you're kind of pissed off, you're looking around, and finally they come out and they call your name, and they say, Steve, come on back. And I stand up to go back, and in that moment, frankly, I feel a little superior to the other people in the waiting room. Finally, I'm going back. And they take me back through that door, and you know what they do next. They put you in another little room to wait on the doctor. They make you take your clothes off and put on that gown where your ass is hanging out the back. So now I've moved. You know, that's what, you know, that waiting room is, is when I've quit drinking. I show up out in the big meeting, and then I quit drinking, and I go to the small waiting room. But all I am is sober, and my ass is still hanging out. 
And pretty soon the doctor comes, and that is when we begin to address the problem. And that's what happens when I get engaged in these steps. So I arrived at step six and seven, and uh, uh, and hopefully I am beginning to pray for willingness. It's an interesting thing that happens, I believe, at six and seven. I'm going to share a few things, and, and we'll probably get done early here. Um, I mean, we talk about the two paragraphs in the book as being, you know, probably the, the shortest set of instructions for any of our 12 steps. And less space uh, committed to that than, uh, um, than any other place. So I'm going to read these two paragraphs. I, I hate when people read in a meeting, so indulge me, but thank goodness it's just two paragraphs. It says, if we can answer to our satisfaction, we then look at step six. We have emphasized willingness as being indispensable. Are we now ready to let God remove from us all things which we have admitted are objectionable? Can he now take them all, every one? If we still cling to something we'll not let go, we ask God to help us be willing. When ready, we say something like this, my creator, I'm now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. And then it says we have completed step seven. Well, I think what it feels like to me, and, and always when I'm talking, I'm sharing from the point of view. And all a point of view means is what it looks like from here. All I can do is share my experience. When it says we have completed step seven, for me, that's like very much going, you know, uh, eating bad sushi at the airport. When, when I get up from that meal, I've completed the meal. But the meal might not be through with me. You know what I mean? Hour or two later, I might have some, uh, there might still be some stuff going on, some repercussions from the bad sushi. And I will tell you that when I get off of my knees from saying that seventh step prayer, I may have completed the action of the seventh step, but it is not through with me. Not if I'm in it, not if I'm open. That is when this, this change begins to take place. I hope when I read those two paragraphs, for me, there's a couple of things that that seem, could almost be perceived as a contradiction. You know, when I get in that sixth step, it, it says that, am I now ready to let God remove from me everything I've admitted is objection? I'm going to tell you, I'm having that, uh, can you guys hear me now? Yep, we hear you. All right, sorry about that. I don't want to bail early because it'll be like the real six and seven step. We'll just half ass it, you know, and that's a, that's a bad way to approach this. Anyway, what happens is that, uh, at the sixth step, I get to talk about or I get to determine what I'm willing to let go of, which makes no sense at all, right? It says I get to decide what's objectionable and then ask God to remove it. And and if I do that, aren't I playing God? Aren't I deciding what I get to look like? Aren't I deciding what a spiritual Steve would be? So what really happens is that I am supposed to, in that seventh step prayer, there's a there's a bait and switch. In the sixth step, 
I get to decide what's objectionable, and I get to take that to God and be willing for him to remove them every one. But when I go to the seventh step, that seventh step prayer suggests that I give God all of me, good and bad, that I put everything in the game, good and bad. Because the implication being, I don't know which is which. So I, I again, just like in the third step, I'm, I am putting myself in God's hands and saying, change me any way you want to change me. Any way that will make me more useful to you and my fellows. Any way, anything that stands in the way of my usefulness, please free me of that. I'm willing to have that done. And it's like having a, a, a yard sale, you know. Now, I know we don't have yard sales anymore. We would be doing that on, on Amazon now. But let's assume that in my uh, – uh, uh, Connie and I live in a condominium now. When we moved and, and were moving a few years ago from our home, we needed to get rid of stuff. We couldn't move everything to our new home. So we went through our home. We identified everything that was clutter, everything that was no longer useful, everything that we're willing to the front yard for people to come by and buy on Saturday morning. In doing that, this in this metaphor, when those people come on that Saturday for that yard, but I've got to say, you know what, go on in the house and take anything that you need. Take what you want. And that's what I'm saying to God. Go on in the house. Here's some things here's some things that are wearing me out. Here's some things that are causing me so much trouble. I am ready for you to remove them. But rather than limit God to, to, to a list that I've put together, I need to put myself 100% in the game. I'm going to, I'm going to wind this down so I don't put you through this technical challenge. So what I want you to know, what I, what I need to know is that I arrived at this step and it, it requires humility. The seventh step talks on and on about humility. It talks about not living a life of unmet demands, which will leave me in a state of continual disturbance. It talks about the fact that this is no longer at this point a life of me trying to have my demands met. It's a life of me lessening my demands, of being more and more okay of, again, making that move from being self-satisfied to being God-centered and God-directed. You know, there are instances in my recovery where I move from limited objectives, which are of me, to that perfect objective, which is of God. This is where I turn from me again toward God. It is where I get all the way in. But what I will tell you, when I said that that bad sushi meal stays with me, this sixth and seventh step stays with me because I will discover where I am still demonstrating or a defect is, is showing up in my life in a way that is causing harm. At about six years sober, uh, 
my wife and I went out to dinner one night, and I was pretty pleased with me. It was one of those, I just thought I was doing so good. I was I was six years sober. And uh, I said, you know, I said, I am really doing good. And she said, well, you know, Steve, you're still the most deceitful person that I know. Now, that's not what I was looking for. I was fishing for a compliment. But on this rarest of occasions, rather than than fire back cause I, and, and tell her what I had been not telling her about her, rather than, than make this a defensive position, I said, why do you say so? And she says, well, you know, you still uh, – uh, uh, you've got a slush fund of money you think I don't know about, and, and uh, uh, so you kind of keep in that secret. And uh, you say you're uh, at work and you go to an afternoon movie, but I find the movie, you know, the movie tickets in your in your pants pocket when I watch. And she says you're deceitful, but you're not very good at it. And uh, uh, and uh, and she said, you know, when we were trying to save some money, she said you'll go buy clothes or buy a shirt and tear the tag off of it and try to slip it into the closet undetected and get it into the rotation. And uh, um, and she said, you know, so it's just deceitful. And and see, for a moment, I had this chance. Do I defend myself from the charges or do I own it and go, okay, how? what can I do there? What am I willing to do? Am I really willing to change? Six and seven puts me squarely in the crosshairs. Of am I talking about wanting to change or am I truly willing to change and not be in charge of what the change looks like? This humility that, that, that we continue to build coming into six and seven is what prepares me to go forward in steps eight and nine that you will hear about next. It is what prepares me to go take who I am and stand in front of those people I have hurt. And be willing to own the truth about me. Step six and seven is where this boy becomes willing to grow toward being a man. We are fortunate, I certainly am, that in how it works, it tells me that I'm going to come nowhere near perfect adherence to these principles. But the point is... I'm willing to grow along spiritual lines. At 31 years sober, I continue to have to ask myself, do I remain willing to grow today? Not from where I was, but from where I am. Am I willing to grow from here? Do I have enough humility to own the problems I stumble across today? I hope that I do. I am grateful for what has been shared up here to today. I am so grateful for your patience in navigating through technology problems I did not have till this week. I don't know why that's happening, but often I assume it is God saying they don't need to hear what you're about to say next, Steve. So we will assume that this was, uh, uh, that any interruption was divine, uh, divinely inspired. Thank you guys so much for having me. Ollie, thank you. And I look forward to being around for the rest of the weekend.